I want to talk to you about Joseph, who is a very favorite character of mine from the scriptures. He put up with an awful lot. He represents very clearly what Jesus will go through a few thousand years later. It was almost as if he was a forerunner to what Jesus was. Now, Jophas, I don't understand much about him from the very beginning. We don't hear a lot about him. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 37 of Genesis, Joseph just shows up. He's been mentioned before, of course, but here he is. Um, he was a young man of 17 years of age. He was the 11th son of Jacob, who God later named him Israel. That's Jacob was later named Israel. Now, he was a favorite because Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. And um, she hadn't had children for many years. And now all of a sudden she has a child and his name is Joseph. But Joseph's father, Jacob, brought a lot of injustice on Joseph because he was a favorite son. He favored him above his other 10 brothers, which is a dangerous thing for any father to do, any parent to do. But he brought injustice on him by causing a lot of jealousy. Now, I realize his brothers chose to be jealous and you can't really blame Joseph for it, but there is blame on Jacob because he did that. Now, when he was 17 years old, according to Genesis 37, he had dreams. And those two dreams were about um, his brothers and his father and mother at some point bowing down to worship him. Now, they became very upset about that. Even his father didn't like that, but it said he remembered them. He didn't put them out of his mind, but it just made the older brothers all the more jealous, and they decided to kill him, but thankfully, uh, a caravan came through from another country when they're out in the field looking after the sheep, and they simply sold Joseph to that, and he ended up in Egypt. When he was in Egypt, he was sold as a slave, a man named Potiphar, who was one of the high officials in Pharaoh's army, bought him. And, he, and it says of Joseph, he behaved himself so well and he was so successful in what he did that Potiphar made him ruler of the whole household under Potiphar's rule, of course. David, or pardon me, Joseph was now second in command in that house. And so... We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. How come he was so successful? Now, Potiphar had a, a wife. I think she was probably, could be described as history's first desperate housewife. I don't know. But anyway, she, she kind of took an attraction to him. And she used to try to get him to come into her room and spend time in her bed. As a matter of fact, in verse 7, six and seven of, uh, of Genesis 39. She just very bluntly says, come to bed with me. Now he, in verse nine, he says, I can't do that. Would be sinning against my God or be sinning against Potiphar. I can't do that. I won't do it. She grabbed his robe to try to pull him, but he escaped. She ended up with his robe when Potiphar came home from work. She said, he tried to rape me and here's his cloak. I grabbed it when I screamed 
And so Potiphar gets really upset with Joseph. Um, another injustice, the wife is injustice, Potiphar's injustice, he never gave Joseph a chance to um, defend himself or tell his end of the story. And in 39 verse 20, he ends up in jail. He's in jail for a long time. And you say when he's in jail, um, remember he was sold at the age of 17, now he's in jail and he's there. And when he's in jail, there's two men that show up. One is a wine taster for the, for the king, a food taster probably, and the other was the baker. Well, after they're there for a while and Joseph was put in charge of that whole prison by the prison warden, I guess you'd call him nowadays, and... Um, these two guys had their dreams one night. And um, Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. And the dreams came true in three days. It came true. One was taken back and restored. The other one was put to death. But Joseph had said to them, please would you remember me when you go back to, go back to Pharaoh's house? Just mention to him why I'm here. But they forgot about it. The one that lived forgot about it. And you see, he ended up staying in prison for at least another two years. Now, think of the injustice. He's forgotten about by the man he interpreted the dream. Um, he's, he, he was injustice treated by uh, Potiphar. He's just treated by his wife, his brothers, all the way back. Injustice upon injustice is piled upon this man. Now, I want to go on and then look at his character. But he, first of all, Pharaoh has a dream, and it's an astonishing dream. And this baker, uh, uh, pardon me, the wine tester, the food tester, remembered Joseph and said to, to Pharaoh, there's a guy in prison and interpret our dreams, and they all happen. So at 30 years of age, um, the prime minister of um, Egypt was now Joseph because he's brought out of prison. He interpreted the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, you're wise. You're in charge of it. And he became second in command of that nation. I like to think of the fact that he was now ruler over Potiphar and his wife. And Joseph didn't do anything to get even with what they've done. And so let's stop there for a few minutes and let's talk about Joseph. He had to have a right attitude. He had to be a forgiving, uh, 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 praying for or praying for love for his, his dad and mom and his brothers, uh, praying for Potiphar, praying for that guy's wife, keeping a heart of attitude. Here's the reason. When you come into Potiphar's house, you aren't given full authority in that home if you've got a rotten attitude, if you're unforgiving and bitter and resentful, always complaining and com bitching about this and about that, the way, you want, the way people treated me, oh, woe is me type thing. He wasn't like that or he never would have got into the position he's in. And the same in jail. He never would have been given the position that he was given if he had been full of self-pity and resentment and bitterness and hatred and vindication and all the stuff that goes with unforgiveness. You understand, for some reason, this young man knew how to deal with the rejection of injustice. 
He didn't have to go to counselors for 20 years to get straightened out. He didn't have to call his pastor every night when he was lonely and say, oh, please pray for me. That may not be wrong, but he didn't have to do that. He somehow knew how to deal with the injustice that had been piled on him from way back when he was a child, and his father started to favor him above his brothers. Even before he was 17, that favor was there, and it shouldn't have been. He, they, he should have been loved the same as all his brothers. But that injustice kept multiplying and multiplying. Where would you be if all that stuff had happened to him? Happened to you, permit. And you see, this man had an attitude. Here's some principles from Joseph's life. I wrote these down a number, it's many years ago. There was a man in this area, his name was Charles Simpson. I, I don't know who brought him in, but I went to hear him one, one evening. And, and I wrote down, he was talking about Joseph, and I wrote down these things about Joseph. It's, it's all I wrote. I wish I'd written more about what he said, but these are the things. This is what God has in mind when Joseph was going through all that situation, when, when Jesus went through all his rejection and situation, when you're going through all the rejection and the injustice of your situations. This is what God has in mind. This is his plan. Beyond the crisis, there's a sovereign plan. In other words, there's something beyond your crisis, something beyond. Jesus, it says of Jesus, he handled the whole um, knowledge of the pain of the cross as he was approaching that day when he's going to be crucified. He dealt with it. It says that he looked beyond the cross and he could see beyond the cross the joy that was out there after all that um, Christ was, was over. And Joseph must have been doing the same thing. He must have been saying, there's got to be a better day tomorrow. All this stuff that I'm going through, I'm forgiving. I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm going to see what lies behind, beyond that thing, way out there. I don't know how many days or weeks, but out there God has a sovereign plan. And you see, secondly, we need to trust the Lord we don't know how he's going to do it, but we know he will deliver us eventually from this crisis if we keep our hearts right. Thirdly, we need to keep a right attitude, and if we keep a right attitude towards people and situations, that attitude, if we keep moving in that right direction with that right attitude, then God can do what he had in mind. Joseph was a good steward with a good attitude. He rose to the top wherever he went. Because in both Potiphar's house and the jail, it says of Joseph, he was successful in everything he did because God was with him. God is not with us in bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, hatred. He is not with us. He stands to one side trusting, hoping, showing mercy that we will repent of that attitude and come back to him. He wants to take us through the crisis, but that right attitude will keep us moving through so we can get to the end. I have to look back in my life and have to say to myself, some of those things I went through, I believe God had a plan beyond that, but I blew it because I let my attitude go 
and the whole thing was gone. The whole thing was aborted. Number four, our task is not to escape from the situation, but to be led through the situation. Psalm 23, they, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Doesn't say you get me out, you are with me. I assumed he could have escaped from the prison. He was a young man, I'm sure he could have run, I'm sure he could have, but he didn't. No record of him trying. So how do you think he dealt with his attitude? Well, first of all, we see an example in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says in verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Did you hear that? Beyond my ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Listen, there's always a but that we have to listen to. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul says, all this stuff happened to me that I would learn to trust him. So there was a goal that he had to go. If he had aborted that by getting a wrong attitude and start getting mad at the prisoners or whatever, or at the, at the wardens or the government, all that would have been aborted. And then God says, well, I need to take them trust, teach trust to them. I'm going to have to take them through another crisis in order to teach them that. But you see, Joseph's story, he dealt with the crisis in the right way and God saw him through. He dealt with his brother's crisis right. He dealt with the Potiphar's house right. He dealt with the prison situation right. I, I, when I'm talking about somebody like this, I like to ask this question. Did this man, Joseph, did he behave himself in relation to what God wanted? And the answer is yes, he did. He behaved himself. He didn't get bitter. He didn't become unforgiving. He didn't have that vindication or that I'm going to even attitude. I can prove that to you in a few minutes, that he didn't have a get even attitude. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 13, listen to what he says. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, he chose to be content. It was a choice. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I underlined the word secret there. The secret of being content in every and ever, any situation whether well-fed or hunger, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, you see, when Paul says there's a secret to knowing how to deal with the crisis that you're in, there's a secret. And that secret is simply this, 
Make a choice before God. You're going to trust him to get you through it and say, Lord, I choose to be content. Trusting you will get me through this crisis. Let me inform you of this. There's going to be a bunch of counselors that will go out of business when you start saying, I'm going to look at this crisis. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pray what I need to pray. I'm going to pray for people. that I'm going to love those that are persecuting me. I'm going to pray for love for them because he said to love your enemies. He said, pray for those that despitefully use you. I'm going to do that. And believe me, brothers and sisters, God doesn't want us to go through crisis more, no more than we do. But sometimes there's a plan that has to be worked out. And the crisis is what prepares us us to make the, for the next promotion that he has for us out there, the next thing, the next ministry, the next victory that we see in people's lives. We have to go through this to prepare us for that. And Paul said, I recognize that. I'm here sitting in prison, and I know God's teaching me stuff, and I made a decision to be content. I want to list some of the things that Joseph had to deal with in his struggles. Now listen to me. This is so urgent. To me, it's urgent. You see, a number of years ago, the governments of our nations passed a law that said, we have equal rights. And if you don't get what you want, you can sue somebody. You can go to court, get what you want. You have rights. The Bible says, I need to give up my rights and live for Jesus for what he wants, not what I want. But our country's laws have gone the very opposite. We have rights. So what you're going to have to do to get through the next crisis is listen to some of the things that Joseph gave up. And you might learn what to give up in your life. He had to give up the right to be with a family. He had to give that up. He had to give up the right to be right, and this has to do with part of his wife. He wasn't given a chance to justify himself or to explain anything. He had to give that up. He had to give up the right to be free. He worked through that in prison. He had to give the right to be accepted. Because he was rejected. I have to say, Lord, it's all right. You're teaching me something. We're going through this together. I give up my right to be accepted by people, by family, by anybody. I give up my right to be understood. I give up my right to take vengeance or to be able to retaliate on what they've done. I give up those rights. I give up the right to be loved. Potiphar's wife probably could have helped. He gave up the right because he knew it was wrong. He gave up the right to have a home. He gave up the right to be out of prison. He gave up the right. And he, when he couldn't be heard regarding his innocence. He gave up that right to be heard. He had to give up the right to have a fair trial. He had to give up the right to be remembered when the, when the food taster didn't remember him. He had to make a choice to be content in all things. He made a choice. Now, listen to Genesis 39 
some verses here. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. I am not preaching a prosperity message. I'm talking about the blessing God wants to give to you if you will walk in such a way that God says, I'm walking with you. No bitterness, no resentment, total forgiveness, loving your enemies, praying for those despitefully use you. I will walk with you and you will prosper because I'm with you. Not because you've learned some mountain high faith, although faith is important. Then verse 21 of 39. The Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. I've already said you don't get positions like that if you're full of bitterness. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Man, he trusted him totally because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Do you understand? Because of Joseph's attitude in facing these trials, God was with him. Oh, you know, we've counseled for a long time. I'm not a certified counselor by any means, but because the Lord has blessed the minister and blessed our marriage and blessed our family, People just want to know how we did it. What's the answer? So we have been involved in quite a bit. So I don't hang out a shingle that says I'm a counselor, but I do know that the Lord has blessed us and I want to share with others what he has done. And you see, here's Joseph. The Lord is with him because he knows how to behave himself. In chapter, 45, in chapter 45 of Genesis, listen to the, some of the things that we find in this chapter. First of all, in verse 8, now this is when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. You'll have to read the whole thing right up to the end of Genesis. There's almost more stuff written about Joseph than anybody else in Genesis. I've never checked that out really, but I think Abraham might close to the second one. But listen to what this says. In verse 8, he says to his brothers, they're scared now. This is the, he's the head honcho, second only to Pharaoh. He could chop our heads off. Get he says to them, Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Oops. In the last crisis, did you spend most of the time rebuking the devil? <laughs> devil had nothing to do with it, probably. It was sent by God for a purpose. He has a plan up ahead on the other side of your cross. He has a plan. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Then in verse 9, he says, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Do you know what I read out of that? All of a sudden, his obedience, which got him into this place in Egypt, is now going to be a blessing for his whole family. All his brothers. He had a sister. 
There's another brother, Benjamin. They have wives now. They have children now. There's 70-something of them all together. His obedience is now blessing the whole family. That was the joy that he now realizes that came after the cross he bore. Then verse 11, he says to them, you bring your parents all down here. I will provide for you. There are five years of famine still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all to belong to you will surely become destitute, poor, hungry. This man who behaved himself, watched his attitude in spite of the hardships and the rebuke and the, the lying and the, all the stuff he went through, watched his attitude, made a choice to be content, and God said, because of that, you not only bring your family down, you are responsible for looking after them. I'm going to make sure that you're able to. And he was able to. Then in verse 13, tell my father about all the honor afforded me in Egypt, about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Oh my goodness. The family is being saved from poverty and hunger because of this man who watched his attitude. Verse 16 says, When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return, and, and so on. You know, all of Pharaoh's household and all his officials, it says in that verse 16, loved Joseph. They were all pleased with him. Why? Because of his attitude. You don't make friends with being grumpy and miserable and unforgiving and bitter. You don't make friends. He made friends with Pharaoh's household. And in verse 18, it says, And bring your father and your families back to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you can enjoy the fat of the land, the best of the land. This is what he was doing for his family because he kept his attitude right through every crisis. Verse 20, it says, Never mind about your belongings because the best of the land can be yours. You know, our belongings often stand in the way of us making Jesus Lord of our life. They, they take place of the first commandment of loving God more than anything else. And you see here, Joseph said, don't worry about all that stuff. I'll give you the best of the land. He said, love your enemies, Jesus said. That because God has a plan for serving more people than just you. You understand? Joseph wasn't worried about him being saved. He was, he was now an instrument that his whole family were saved. He says in verse, uh, chapter 50, verse 20, he's talking to his brothers. This is after his father came down. You intended to harm me, but God indeed intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. You understand? Actually, his father had died at this point. The brothers were now nervous that he might come back on them for judgment. But he didn't. 
He said, God intended this to happen. It was God intended to happen. And he did it, the saving of many lives. Do you realize that the Jews are here today because of what God did back there through Joseph? What a wonderful example of what God wants to do for this world through his son Jesus. Then he says to them, so don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, God's plan is eternal. Your discomfort is temporary. Are you willing to sacrifice to see many saved? Are you willing to go through a Christ to see many brought to a point of salvation? If not, you're disobeying the Lord. Father, have mercy on us. Any selfishness, anything that's hindered us from going through our crisis, Lord, forgive us and bring us into a place of true repentance. I pray that in the name of Jesus for every person listening to that. Amen, Lord. Amen. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.